Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich. And I'm Olivia Kane. And welcome to the Weekly Typographic. A podcast where we discuss our favorite type and design news from the week. Hello, Olivia. Micah, my favorite podcast co-host. As if there is another that you do. This is the only <laughs> podcast you do. I'm the only one you know. I wouldn't have had it any other way. And funny enough, I haven't had it any other way because we've been doing this podcast and we've been doing it a long time. And I think it's important to celebrate that. So we're going to have a special episode. This episode celebrating our 100th regular episode of the Weekly Typographic. That was the most awkward celebratory intro that you could have possibly done. <laughs> I thought great. it was seamless. Perfect. I thought it was perfect. <laughs> Can you believe it? A hundred. And we've done more than a hundred because we don't actually consider our interview episodes part of our numeric counting of the weekly typographic because those are technically <laughs> bonus episodes. Stop making fun of me. So, <laughs> but I'm excited. This is the hundredth classic WT situation. <laughs> it's pretty wild. I can't and don't think about it on a weekly or daily basis. Uh, so it's pretty fun that you guys wanted to celebrate this week. Yeah. I do have to give a shout out to Trey Seals. I feel like Trey kept being like, what are you guys doing for the 100th episode? And I was like, oh, crap. I actually have to be accountable and <laughs> we should do something. Because he's been saying, I'm looking forward to the 100th episode. And I'm like, okay, I got to live up to it. We got to figure something out. But it's going to be fun. <laughs> I mean, in the Nerd Alert, we're going to be talking about our humble beginnings. <laughs> and if you stay tuned long enough, you'll hear the first 30 seconds of our first ever episode. And then we're going to also talk about reflections on what we've learned ourselves what the challenges have been emotionally technically intellectually typographically typographically yeah what have we been we have hundreds of hours of us just nerding out so hopefully that oh that's such a weird thought amounts to learning yeah so we have a bunch of cool normal links that we're sharing this week that are fun and then got a couple fun little features as we talk about what a hundred episodes of recording a typographic podcast has been like what are we crazy out here? What are we crazy? Crazy? Oh my god, we've been watching too much TikTok. Crazy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our first link is pretty crazy. I'm actually really pumped about this. I saw this last week and then forgot about it and then re-remembered it when I got sent the <laughs> link package for this week. So it is an epic microsite, and everyone knows if it's an epic microsite, likely. It's by Grilly Type, and it is indeed by Grilly Type. This is Grilly Type's Planer, which I actually, I'm realizing I actually haven't read much about this font. I've just been playing with this microsite so much because it's so entertaining, but it looks like it's a beautiful, big, chunky family variable typeface, sans serif, very elegant. I would say that's maybe geometric design. But the microsite itself has so many crazy interactions, whether you're moving your mouse and the type itself bends to whatever angle your mouse is at, or the animations that are interactive as well. It very much has a retro futurism aesthetic to it without feeling too cliche. It doesn't feel overdone. It feels like, whoa, they've really committed to this. And in every <laughs> single thing, the illustrations, the type, the color scheme, you just feel like you're entering this like insane imaginative world i love that you consider this not overdone but i think it's fantastically done and Ooh. very fun 
Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I'm way more into the microsite than the font. The font's pretty cool, but yeah, the microsite is very cool. Right? I felt similarly. <laughs> yeah. I think by default, you can expect a level of quality from Grilly type. But then I just can't believe there's just still blowing everyone away with microsites. How are they just endless machines when it comes to this sort of thing? They've really got it down pat. We got to talk to them because these have to cost good money. They must yeah. be putting money into these. Yeah. I'm very curious. I mean, I looked in the footer and it was, it said, website and animations designed by Patrick Sevalinen. Oh, gosh. And Grilly Type. Moving images animated by Josh Chobe and website developed by Jack Wild. And I clicked on some of those links and I was like, oh, these people do very cool things. So you might want to like go to the footer and check out their other stuff, too. That's a good tip. But even having like a whole team, the whole company of Grilly Type plus three other people involved in making this on top of the cost of making a typeface, crazy. I mean, I just think they're setting, they've been known for this for a few years, just like setting a new standard for marketing material around fonts, which to be fair, like probably this is normal for us to see and encounter and be like, oh, really type again. But this sort of thing, I mean, most just regular people are not going to be on pages like this fairly often. So I think it's like they know their audience so well and they know that what they do is going to get people talking in the type community. And that's probably I'm assuming a certain amount of satisfaction, like what we do. No one's listening to unless like you know about type and stuff like that. But I'm impressed I want to just keep on seeing them <laughs> impressing me. Talking about the font, too. Obviously, there's this like sci-fi, vintage, retro kind of thing. But mm-hmm. I think the reason for that is because there's like this crazy variable system here of italic and reverse italic. Yeah. From negative 45 degrees every 15 degrees, I guess, up to 45 degrees in... Thin, light, regular, medium, bold, black. That's a lot of stuff. Not to mention all of the alternates and some are like creative alternates and it's a lot. I think that it's interesting they call reverse italic or the back slant, as we've talked about before, a retalic. I've never heard of it like referred to a retalic, R-E-T-A-L-I-C. But it makes sense. And I have to say... Gosh, backslants are so weird. I mean, it's really interesting to see how they solve for it. If you do play around, you can see that they really consider the spacing. I love in a bizarre way when the eye does a crazy backslant, the tittle of the eye, God, I hate that word, stays upright. (laughs) And same with the italic. I thought that was a really interesting little detail is that it doesn't slant with the type. It actually stays upright and moves based on where the italic is. Yeah, that is interesting. And there was one thing, like, kind of getting deep into this. There's, like, a PDF that's linked somewhere on the page, if you can find it. And on one of the pages, it's kind of paragraph setting, going from negative 45 degrees light all the way down a bunch of lines to positive 45 degrees black. Mm. And it's this wild, like, while the... Reverse italics look real weird in any other context. Mm -hmm. Suddenly it makes this perfectly beautiful curved cylinder out of the paragraph. Yeah. And it's wild. Interesting. The more we talked about this, the more I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm actually interested in seeing where this type goes and how it is used and flexed. And 
see how people use it in definitely pushing boundaries with both the italics, to be honest. Who the heck uses a reverse italic, though? I think I've designed for reverse italic before. It's really, really, really hard to do because you have to reverse all of your knowledge. I don't know. We'll see. Very strange. And neat and cool and well done and beautiful site. I love the site. We applaud you once again. I really really. was confused in the beginning, but it just keeps getting crazier the longer I stay on the page. Yeah, no, same, same. I think we could have had a whole episode (laughs) based on this, truthfully. (laughs) All right, moving on, though, jumping to a different side of the typographic spectrum. We have an article from FemType, and it is titled, In the Wake of the Pandemic, a Fascinating Type Project Explores Emotion Beyond Binaries. This is a project called Emotional Gamut by Akshita Chandra. She's exploring the nuanced facets of human emotion amidst the emotional chaos of the pandemic. So it kind of has a backdrop of the pandemic. Akshita is a pentagram graphic designer and a graduate from MICA. I have to say, there's like a lot of really interesting typographic explorations from mica recently this is not the first time i'm like oh shit there's cool typographic thinking there i definitely recommend going true i'm awesome ah you're so funny (laughs) i almost went there that would have been funnier uh oh shoot mica i would have had many jokes (laughs) anyways it's definitely worth going to the project page i think this is definitely some more abstract thinking with just looking at shapes and forms and how that expresses emotion in its just like in the most simplest ways. Like how can how can literally outlines and vectors be expressive of how something can make you feel or reflective of how something makes you feel? And so the project itself is very exploratory, very experimental. So like definitely take that with that in mind and gets to some like really crazy letter forms with just really boundary breaking spikes and squiggles and puffiness. And I think she does a lot of converting these forms to colored plexiglass is how she renders these in 3D. And it's just really some funky stuff to get inspired by. It is certainly funky stuff to get inspired by. Thanks. Go check it out. And I hope to see more cool stuff like this coming into our eyeballs and inboxes. Our next link is from Fast Company, simply titled, Are Some Fonts Ageist? Are they? Are they? Well, a new study reveals that the speed at which you're able to read online depends a lot on the font and your age. Okay. None of those statements are surprising, I do have to say. I think we all know, we all do know that typically if you're older folk, you have a hard time with the default smaller sized text on a screen. That is kind of things that are out there in the community of people that are trying to design for accessibility. We know that there is vision loss as you get older often, and there are some cognitive changes. And there are some fonts that are going to be easier to read than others. They talked to some scientists. They've kind of discovered some new things. They basically discovered that fonts matter in determining how quickly a person is able to read on screen. But they matter more if you're over 35. So they had a huge range of participants. They gave them a bunch of fonts like Avenir, Arial, Avant-Garde, Calibri, Franklin Gothic, Helvetica, Open Sans. And they compiled all this research And often they were like finding some quite a bit of variation where some people read better with Arial. Some people even read better with avant-garde, which really surprises me because it has really closed apertures. And then oftentimes there were fonts that people preferred, but they actually 
did not read the fastest with those fonts. So of the fonts, older participants, ages 35 or older, the only font that really made a difference with them was E.B. Garamond and Montserrat, which I thought was interesting. Their levels definitely improved with those two fonts. Montserrat being known for the large X height, which copies some of the earlier digital fonts like Rodana and Georgia. But it was also interesting. I mean, again, they find that there's no average user. I feel like we've heard this bazillions of times. You read best with what you know best. Like if you're surrounded by a bunch of serif text, you're likely going to be able to read serif text easier than sans serif. Same thing, vice versa. In like 100 years, our people like not going to be able to read sans serif because we have no books and everything's on the internet or serif because that was a messy statement. We know what you mean. Yeah, you know what I mean. But also there's serif on the internet, so I don't even buy that either. I know. But I do buy that that's different than how it used to be where sans serif was rare. What if if you're a kid, you're rarely reading articles on the internet? Maybe you read, but like there's a lot more visuals for kids. I don't know. I think like user interface design, if they're on an iPhone for the first seven years of their life and they're just experiencing the Apple interface, I don't know. I guess there's still books. I guess people still read books. (laughs) I mean, it is interesting, though, because probably the amount of exposure that you get to San Francisco font is significantly more than than probably most other fonts that you're going to see in that age range. So I think that's that's an interesting point. Yeah. I don't know. Okay, there were two things that I wanted to note about this article. Yeah. One was that I saw that they said the study attempted to control for font size, which makes me wonder if they don't all look the same when they're trying to make them look the same. And so some of them are going to be harder to read. Yeah, like Baskerville at 12 points can be harder than Montserrat, strictly because I think some of that's Excite. I'm curious if they based it off of Excite or based off of font point size. I think that they're trying to base it off of Excite. But either way, I think there's kind of a problem with comparing two drastically different designed fonts. Yeah, agreed. You're not ever going to have, to say it in web coding terms, you're never going to have a main font that is like a sans serif with a tall x height where the backup if that one doesn't load is like a small x height serif like it just doesn't make sense so try to putting those two next to each other and say they're you know one is harder to read is kind of weird okay not to debate all of the science behind it i'm just saying no i want to hear your thoughts the other was that you mentioned that they said no such thing as an average user heard that a million times and then they kind of described In a couple sentences, I'll just read it. We believe everyone should have a digital design token that developers and publishers can integrate into apps and websites to support personalized readability. And this has come up in a few different projects, one or two that I've been a part of. And I don't I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. Does that make your life a lot harder? Well, yeah, definitely. I have to imagine and yours too. Everybody's like, if if a poster was changing fonts based on me walking by it and me looking at it or You're something, right. that's kind of crazy. But also, I just I don't know. There's something about that that seems to clash with the goal of a designer at the same time. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. 
there's like a fundamental difference there of like, yeah. hey, I'm, as a designer, making these creative choices to make you feel a certain way Ooh, and see yeah. things a certain way. Yeah. And if I no longer have the option to pick and I have to make it adjustable to whatever somebody's favorite font choice is, I mean, that happens, right? That's uh, like how you can change the fonts on an Android phone. Yeah. Like I see, I have like an uncle who uses Comic Sans for his oh main Android font. Yeah, I think I used chalkboard when I was in high school. <laughs> yeah, right? Like it's, uh, I don't know, it's kind of rough. So that's fair. I don't know how I feel about that concept of personalized readability. It, to some extent, I do because some of the other projects that I'm doing, but I don't know. There's some interesting weirdness there. I like the argument against it. I'm here for it. We should find someone to debate, get a good debate going. All right, last link is Museum of the Home's new wayfinding system pays tribute to a staple domestic material. So this is kind of a new wayfinding system, not a full rebrand, but it is for a museum that was formerly known as the Jeffrey Museum of the Home, and now it's just called the Museum of the Home. Jeffrey spelled a wild way, but it's in London. So yeah, clearly it's spelled crazy because it's there. So it was recently redesigned by an architectural firm, Right and Right. And this article talks a little (laughs) bit about how, yeah, are we laughing? Well, I read it, but I didn't hear it out loud. And suddenly that's a very funny name. It is funny. It is Like they can do no wrong. They're right and right. Oh my gosh. That should be their slogan. So (laughs) they talked about the process they already had this design typeface variable to access typeface from Colophon, which is interesting. We're checking out on its own. But this is a little bit more about how do we start bringing design to a physical space and what limitations do they have? So they need to create a system that could survive the British weather as well as controlled spaces of the galleries. And apparently they're a grade one building status. And so that prohibits certain changes. So you can't be like drilling into the building's original brickwork. You're not allowed to add signs to the museum's railings. So it's interesting. This talks about ways they were able to work around that using enamel. And because it's a it's magnetic. It's like not destructive and it can be set up and changed easily with cello tape, which Micah is familiar with from Flight of the Concords. And there's just like nice examples of a super, super simple wayfinding system that had a lot of thought behind it and just makes you appreciate graphic design in an architectural space. Even when there are constraints, like if there's good design thinking, you won't feel like things are missing or anything like that when you're in this space. I like it. This is definitely my kind of design visually. Ooh, a rare mica statement. (laughs) Is that true? (laughs) True. I was like Googling as we were talking about this. It reminds me of Best Made. Remember the Best Made company? Oh, yes. Are they not a thing anymore? They are not a thing anymore. I I have not kept up with them, but oh, you remember that they got bought by some other company and I don't know, maybe it's still like a, a sub brand or something, but it's not what it used to be. Yeah, I see it. My friend got it for me for my birthday one year. They had these like enamel plaques and that's part of what they're talking about is like the material choices in this, how mm-hmm. they chose enamel because it's like magnetic and that makes it easier to switch things out and whatnot, which is mm-hmm. kind of cool. And, uh, the like red and white and simple type 
and enamel just makes me think like my friend one year got me this plaque that just in very simple type says, what good shall I do this day? Mm. That sat on my desk for years. I like that. This is definitely inspiring. Also, I think it's interesting. They briefly touch on this, but the font is a two axis variable font. I think one axis is weight and the other axis might be the calligraphic nature of it. So bolder variations appear calligraphic, which is always just nice to see. And because they appear calligraphic, it almost gives like a 3D-ness to the typography when you see it in use in home galleries. So another way of subtle details to kind of express spatial awareness and stuff like that. Actually, I guess there's a page about it. It was done by Colophon Foundry. And so if you Google Home Sans Colophon, Mm-hmm. You'll find them and you can kind of see the axes changing in animations. Oh, yes. Nice. Very cool. Very nice. Love it. Love a nice well. Like, honestly, I've worked on some graphic design where I was at an agency or studio where we did one piece and then it goes to a web design studio and you don't know what their standards are. And all of a sudden everything looks crazy and you're just like, love that I designed the system for no one to take the system seriously. <laughs> So it's nice when you see a group of creative studios that are really here for the for the mission of making it beautiful in every aspect in a well-rounded way. I like it. All right, my friend. It's nerd alert time. It's nerd alert Does this time. really count? No, this is like a... No, this is, this is like, like a retrospective, as they I, say. Yeah, I feel like this biz. is like happy hour, but without the drinks. Ugh, we should have mm. had a drink. Oh, it's yeah. fine. I'm coming down for being sick, so... Oh. True, true. You can drink. No, I'll stay present and sober. (laughs) Um, Okay, wait, just for fun, can we, when should we play the first clip? Should we do it now, like our first ever intro clip? I feel like we, okay, all right. No, what do you feel like? I mean, one of the questions that you had prompted for us was, how did the whole thing start, season one and two? Yeah, let's talk about it. In the very beginning, I remember we were, writing the newsletter every week and we were talking virtually about it. Mm-hmm. I had initially tried to get you to teach a class Oops. and you were like, well, I can help with the newsletter. And yep. so we were like picking out what to put in the newsletter each week and we were baiting this or that, or one of us would share something and then be like, Oh, well, I don't know. Maybe we should do this instead. And we started meeting up at this one cafe in New York mm-hmm. and sitting down to talk about it. Eventually I was like, man, Aren't we just like recording this conversation? There's a lot of interesting things that we're saying back and forth about our opinions about this. Mm -hmm. This should just be a podcast. Yeah. And it was. Started that easily. I feel like you whipped up the album artwork that day and you're just like, (laughs) let's do this. I loved it. Oh, my gosh. It was incredible. We had maybe like a hundred listeners a week back then. Like definitely something on the on the smaller side and a devoted following. I remember, I think Daniel Nisbet left us a review on Apple Podcasts way back when, which is mm. really, really sweet. But it was super normal conversations. And before we dive into season two, can we share our first audio recording that we attempted? Well, that's not, the point. It's like we were yeah. we were meeting in this cafe. So we were like, let's just record this. So we recorded it in the cafe. And you'll <laughs> so hear. It sounded a little something like this. Hey, everybody. Uh, I am Micah Rich. I'm Olivia Kane. Uh, and we are the League of Mobile Type. We're here with the first ever 
weekly typographic podcast. It's going to be super exciting. So all week we gather links to bring you guys for the weekly typographic. And now we're kind of going to talk about them and like give you our thoughts and why we think they're so awesome and important and like talk about type design and the future that's ahead of us. Yeah, totally. We, we kind of found ourselves meeting every week anyway to talk about this stuff. And we thought, this seems like a good thing to share. Yeah, exactly. There it is. <laughs> oh my god! It's funny. I guarantee there were people on a date in the background, yes. like studying for class, ordering coffee, Definitely. and we just tried to crap out all of the extra sounds. And I remember—I don't know if it was Daniel's review that you were talking about, but yeah. one of the first reviews oh. was like, "Love you guys. Love what you're doing." Please buy a microphone. Yeah. Like what? I think it was an email. It definitely wasn't the Daniel review, but it was definitely an email. I remember that exactly. I think it did kick our butt into gear because now that I listen to that, it's absurd. But I feel like you always had the great thing that was like, sometimes you just got to start something. It's not going to be perfect. If we just get this going, we're going to keep on learning. And I feel like ultimately we did. Shoot, I said that? Wow. Yeah, it was very wise advice. What year was that? That was 2017. The very end of 2017, we did that. I was still working in publishing. That's weird. As soon as numbers get into it, I get confused because like 2017 to me, it was like the start of the pandemic. So I'm confused. Oh my gosh. Oh my God. Well. I don't understand time. The start of the pandemic was also significant. So we ran the first season. We had 20 episodes, it sounds like, from November to June. So we ended in June 2018. You went on your magnificent Europe trailblazing trip. And I was just hanging out in New York, but we took a break from a lot of league stuff. And then back again in 2020, we started reconnecting. I made you teach me how to code, which is awesome. And then I think I was like, what's happening with the league? You know, I've been kind of out of touch and you were revamping it at the time. You started the membership a few months before and you had the wonderful Hugo helping gather links and gather the newsletter together. I was like, oh my God, this is exciting. This is cool. It's like April 2020. Should we start the podcast again? And then name it season two? (laughs) I mean, it's funny because if it hadn't been for Hugo, I wouldn't have been able to do the newsletter by myself. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's one of the things that you never really get to see behind the scenes, but it's quite a lot of work to do that. So I was juggling a bunch of different things. I was like teaching people to code. I was doing freelance projects. I was trying to figure out what direction the league needed to go. I I think we had like launched a couple courses too that were fairly intensive, multi-month courses. And if it hadn't been for Hugo, the newsletter wouldn't have started. And then we wouldn't have been like, we should do the podcast again. Yeah, you're right. It was a beautiful collection of stories. So we started season two again, and that's when we introduced the Nerd Alert. So our first iteration podcast was just us talking about links. Second iteration, I was like, can I do this weird segment where I talk about obscure type history? And obviously that has evolved. (laughs) And also with the second season, we started doing interviews. So we never really got to do interviews Mm. before, had the opportunity to. And we talked about how we want to start structuring those And I think our first interview was with Lynn, and I was so excited to have her on first because I think she does a lot for the type industry. She's an educator. She cares a lot about that stuff. She's incredibly talented. But yeah, season two was off to a crazy start. I mean, it was also the pandemic. If you listen to some of those episodes, it's like, 
we're living through a pandemic. Like, I still think there was a lot of novelty <laughs> to the pandemic back then, too. We're like, oh, we're all stuck mm. in our homes. Like, we should talk about what's happening, but we're not going to want to talk about the pandemic too much because that's depressing. And we're trying to still keep conversations going as all design events and stuff halted. There was a reckoning in the type industry with um, Type Directors Club getting called out by Juan and then being subsequently shut down and then maybe, I think, acquired <laughs> by one club or Art Directors Club. I don't know. But yeah, that was a crazy start to season two. That was a very crazy start to season two. And I just remember I was like so excited that you came to the table being like, can I do this thing? I just remember being like, yes, absolutely. What the heck? Where's that been? Oh, my gosh. I just knew there was something to it. And I feel like I feel like there has been something to it. Yeah. Yeah. One thing we want to talk about is like all the challenges. So like you said, like the newsletter is super, super challenging just because it is it's work to first of all, find articles that we feel well fit for the newsletter and then for the podcast. And then it's like writing the blurb about it. And then we were also doing the membership. So the membership, you get free fonts and that's even more searching. And we had jobs at the time. So I think those are the biggest challenges. And then we upgraded our editing system. We got like a software that helped us really quickly edit out filler words and gaps. And we started refining that way, but it was still like a big time suck. So I think we were, there was definitely a lot of hurdles we were jumping through. And then finally, last year, was it 2021? I think one of the best things we ever did in this podcast was ask for an intern to help us out. And <laughs> the wonderful Steph Clark. We did came, not get an intern. No. Yeah. We got like a superwoman. <laughs> the wonderful Steph Clark came knocking on our door being like, yes, I have a podcast and I love what you guys do. And I, I want to refine my design skills and get more experience. So she like came guns a blazing and <laughs> was like, absolutely, I think changed our lives and our work processes and inspired us to be doing more and to be reaching out to the community more and gives us new ideas every freaking week. So she came last year. And a lot of structure. I feel like that's another real yeah, huge change yeah. that Steph helped us with. She was like, how about you plan your content ahead of time? And we're like, that's a little <laughs> crazy. I, I mean, like, like it kind of makes sense. Like for 10 or 12 years or something like that, it was my crazy brain running everything. Yeah. And then when you came in, you were helping me in my crazy systems. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when we decided to start the podcast again and like start the new membership and revamp the newsletter and like those things that happened it was let's change the systems of how this works Mm -hmm. and so Steph ended up being like this perfect fit for coming in and being like I can help change some of these systems and improve it like I'm really good at that and she is yeah. So it was like the perfect coordination that just magically happened. She's mind blowing I think let's it's like we can move into our highlights section of things that we've really gotten out of it. But we asked Steph to record what she gets out of the podcast. So mm. we're going to play this clip. It's the first time we're hearing it. So let's go play that. So the thing that I have learned from doing the podcast, admittedly not for 100 episodes, for quite a few, but not for all of them, is it's going to sound really obvious, but it's just how many people are doing such interesting, cool, different, creative things, inspirational things through typography with design and really just using that to raise the bar and set a different tone for what design is and what typography can be and also the educational part as well. And as a bit of a learning geek, I love the fact that 
people are approaching typography and learning about typography in different ways, either how to use it more effectively in their own design work or in their in their actual practice of creating type which is super cool and from a personal perspective the thing I've learned is or the thing I really love about being involved with the podcast is obviously working with Micah and Olivia which is an outstanding thing but mostly it is mostly more even more than working with Micah and Olivia it is being able to every single week dive in and have that really intentional practice of looking at type and design news, activities, projects, things that are happening in the world and learning from them and seeing the ways that people are using type and design to do something interesting and good. So gosh darn wholesome, that's Steph. So well spoken too. Lovely human being. I know. I love when we can get a British accent on the show too. Thanks, Steph. (laughs) (laughs) That is really nice to hear. And Steph really is such a backbone. That is like an understatement. She really is such a glue. And so thanks, Steph, for giving us that little clip. And kind of piggybacking off of that, I, obviously I don't want to like sit here and be like, oh, let's just compliment ourselves for the rest of the time. But like I do think there is like a lot to learn. Okay, for me, there's a lot. Obviously, I've learned a lot of really positive stuff. We've been doing this consistently for a long time. That's insane. But this has really given me the opportunity to understand how generous the type community can be. And I've gotten to talk to so many people I've admired that I never thought I'd ever have a conversation with and never thought someone just like willingly give up an hour just to chat and to catch up. Like I've had so many highlights just through the interviews with with Karen Chang, who I just poured over her book for a year in college to like James Edmondson, who I've, everyone has been admiring for years and Nadine Shaheen. Like this has motivated me to like really feel part of the type community a lot more. And it's also shown me like everyone's freaking generous. If you ask someone specifically for something, not just like can you give me advice on what it's like being a designer? Like, obviously that's a little vague, but like, I think when you're going in and you're saying, hey, I want to have conversations about education and conversations about democratizing design, people like really do want to have those. And I think that's been really inspiring just like for me as like a human being, to be honest, unless so as it like, yes, a designer, but also being like, oh, people are out there and they want to share and they want to talk. And that's exciting. What's your highlight? Well, I we were talking about this yesterday, and for me, I mean, this sounds silly, but it is true. It is the fact that we are still doing it, because I don't think about anybody listening. I just show up and meet with you, and we work on stuff and plan stuff and record the stuff and do it. And, like, I have always struggled with consistency and keeping up with things and the league is is one of the few projects that I have maintained basically my entire career. But even within that, I'm sure anybody who's been following for a long time will be like, hey, whatever happened to that? Or like, where did you said you were going to do that thing and it never happened? Or we started doing it this way and then it changed. And that is just how my brain works. And so I feel like this has been one of the few things where you guys have helped me show up repeatedly, consistently, essentially every week, you know, give or take the like healthy breaks that we take. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that's just like such a useful, healthy thing for me to have in my brain that it's possible 
And I feel like that can be kind of extrapolated to anybody working on anything that's hard where like the results aren't always immediately apparent or like you're very attached to a certain result and it goes a different way and to still be able to look at it and keep working on it and appreciate how far it has come. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's that's kind of a, a pretty nice thing for me. Yeah. I mean, I just have to say something that makes the podcast in particular successful is me, you and stuff. We're all working for it out of passion and it's not really a transactional experience. Like, yes, we have, we've grown and I'm, I'm always looking at stats being like, oh, we did well in this episode and this episode, but it's not like we have to worry, like if we don't get enough listens, we don't make money or stuff like that. Like it feels like there's like a lot of heart in this project. <laughs> to be clear, it's not because we're rolling in money. Exactly. It's because we care about it so much and we keep showing up because we care. Yeah. yeah. So, and then like my last thing, you reminded me to mention this today is I feel like I've just learned a lot about teaching, like, especially with the nerd alerts, you know, I feel like I was really scattered at the beginning, but I was actually working a lot of really hard at the beginning just to get thoughts down and how to articulate certain concepts that may be abstract and often hard to articulate in a podcast format, but it just gave me a lot of confidence. And then, you know, I worked towards that Tyke Weekend conference back in 2020, which is pretty wild. And that was definitely a big milestone for me in my career. So podcast is a gift that keeps on giving. I'll end it there. (laughs) This sounds like we're ending it tomorrow and we're not. Uh, We have a couple more episodes and then we're taking a summer break, right? And then we're going to kick off in the fall with season three. And it seems like a really cool opportunity to like bring in new ideas and see how we can change it together. And so I really wanted to just say to anybody who's like out here listening repeatedly and who enjoys the podcast, write into our email or send us a message or something and tell us just something that you would really like to see in season three. Even if it's like, you know what? I want more of Olivia's nerd alert. Get Micah off here. That's totally cool. Um, I'm, uh, you know, I'm half teasing, but I don't know. Maybe there's like a cool segment that somebody like wishes that somebody would do about typography or some cool new idea that we haven't thought of. I don't know. I just think that'd be really cool. Or heard like someone talk about a topic that was niche and interesting and they just had totally new ideas. Yes. Give us what you want. So let us know what you would really love to see. What a great way to end it. Oh, I like the little snap flourish. But you you know how we always end our podcasts. I do. May I do the honors? All you. All you, my friend.